We will be continuing our teaching tonight through 1 Timothy. If you would please turn there with me. If you want to move sweet seats, there's still spots available. <laughs> Chinese fire drill. And we'll be starting the second chapter tonight. So, 1 Timothy chapter 2. And we'll be going through the first four verses. So, it reads, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, you please pray with me. Almighty God, we praise you for a time such as this, when we can come together and have uh, just such sweet and enjoyable fellowship over um, your word as being centered. I pray that your word would convict us, Lord. It would move in us, O oh God, and ultimately would draw us closer to you into a deeper place of awe and wonder and worship of your glorious name. So we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So with this passage, we have now moved from what is into what is certainly the body of this letter. Uh, that is Paul, the letter that Paul is writing here to Timothy. The first of all that is here referenced in verse 1 is Paul speaking of the entrance into the section, but it's also being used as an emphasis. Paul is here wanting to emphasize something. And what he is communicating is the importance of prayer. That is um, the subject that is worthy to be stressed first of all. He urges them that supplications to be made, that is supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving made for all people. Um, this isn't shocking to us who have walked in the faith for any amount of time, that, because we know that prayer is a necessi necessity, an importance to the Christian faith, to the Christian life. However, it is worth considering how prayer is being viewed and communicated here versus how uh, many of us understand it today as Christians. So let us remind ourselves of the context that is going on here. Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, who is a young pastor, that then would go and share this with churches of his region. Is yes, addressed to Timothy, but is written to larger to the church at large into this specific region. And so as we go through the pastoral epistles, that is first and second Timothy, as well as Titus, which is what we'll be spending our time in small group for the foreseeable future, uh, we are giving a are being given a walkthrough to what is the healthy church. And that is what we have titled um, our small groups for, as I said, moving forward. As we walk through First and Second Timothy and Titus, the pastoral epistles is giving us what a healthy church looks like. The healthy church is what we've named this series. And so this urging from Paul is not of one for uh, necessarily personal prayer, but for communal prayer. This isn't Paul urging Timothy in a private setting of prayer, as how so many of us understand it, but rather a communal one, one that is partaken with other believers. And so that when the church gathers, they ought to pray together in these ways. 
with supplications, that is making requests for special or specific needs. Prayer, in that we are bringing these requests in view before God. Intercessions, that we are appealing boldly in what it is that we are praying for. And with also with great thankfulness always. And so the normal default understanding when I say prayer that so many of us Christians think about today is prayer that is done in isolation. Prayer that is done only with ourselves, only in our heads. Um, prayer that is not really confident and if we're being heard, let alone if our prayers will be answered. And oftentimes it's just merely us checking a box, doing it because we know we ought to be doing it. And so much of modern day prayer can be described as this inward shallowness that partakes only in our own minds and done in privacy. Uh, this stands in stark contrast to how we see prayer described and understood throughout Scripture. What we see both here in the words of Paul as well in so many other places is that prayer ought to be outward in nature, to be done aloud with other people and towards other people. There should be a great depth to it as well. The Psalms give us great examples as to what this would look like. Um, you can't just shallow, shallowly make supplications, intercessions. Our prayers towards the Lord must come from the depths of who we are, from the deepest valleys as well as the highest mountains. This is why we as a church try to emphasize prayer so much. This is why before both of our services on Sunday and Thursday, we do a communal prayer of praying through the Psalms. This is why we do our shepherd's prayer during our service. This is why when we meet as elder groups, we spend time praying with one another. And this is also why in family worship, we stress the importance of prayer. Prayer is done, is necessary, but it's also done communally and needs to be practiced as such. And so if we as a church, Ruah Church, Ruah being the spirit of God, as referenced in the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, if we are to be known for anything and to be defined by anything, let it be for our prayer lives. Let it be that when people come and worship and gather with us, when they fellowship with us, let it be known that we pray too long. Let it be that prayer is what defines us um, as a church. And so after all, um, we, we must understand what prayer is and the importance of it. Paul writing to the church in, in Ephesus, which is the very church that Timothy is the pastor of and that this first Timothy is written to is the region, is the church of Ephesus. And so writing um, in Ephesians, in chapter 6, we see that Paul exhorts them to put on the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. Prayer is the greatest weapon the Lord has given us to be able to go on the offensive and change the reality of everything around us. Every time you pray through the Holy Spirit, it is as if in that moment you are brought into the heavenly realm and stand before King Jesus on His throne. And that you stand before Him, yeah, who is, who, Christ, not able to but willing to answer our prayers and make some, oh, my font's way too small this time. You do not stand before the king who is not only able to but willing to answer your prayers and make some half-hearted plea. No, you would fall to your knees and beg and plead with the Lord to answer your prayers with great zeal. This is what true prayer is and why it is so powerful. Not because of us and what we are 
doing or what we're not doing, but because of the one who on the other end is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And thus, it's like, why do you think Paul here in verse 2 exhorts the church at Ephesus to pray for all people, including kings and all who are in high positions? He wouldn't say this if prayer did nothing or if prayer had nothing, no power over authorities. Clearly, by Paul staying to pray for kings, he's affirming that prayer has an impact on them, that prayer can actually change them. In practicality, every single book in the Old Testament, there's a time where an antagonistic king or ruler comes about against God's people, and the Lord works miraculously and sovereignly to use that king or rulers for the good of his people, oftentimes at the answer to the prayers of his people. When the Proverbs state that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, he turns it wherever he will, that is a completely true and utterly completely and utterly true statement even for us today. When we say that Christ is the king, he is the king over all other kings. When we say he is the Lord of lords, he is the Lord over all other lords. All authority, all power, all governments must answer to Christ who is over all. The church throughout history has had all sorts of stances when it comes to their relationship to the government. From there being a complete separation of church and state to some Christians emphasizing that there should be a state-run church. The church should run the state. Scripture gives us much wisdom and counsel on how we should engage with our government, but at the very least, based on this passage, we must say we must be praying for our authorities. We must be, whatever, wherever you fall convictionally, whatever you believe Scripture teaches as to what is wise, at the very base level, we must say that we as Christians must be praying for our president, praying for our senate, praying for those who are in authority and who are over us. And so, after all, and so let us um, reflect on this, where in a culture that we live in today, it's very easy and very popular to critique those who are over us, to critique whoever it is in president, to critique the police officers, to bash those who are in authorities. And so let us as Christians be reflective and that although we should offer critique, but let, it far, let our prayers for those far outweigh our critique and our joking and our humor of them. So after all, what is the purpose? Um, why do we pray for kings and all who are in high positions? It's so that we may, as it says here in verse 2, that we may lead a peaceful, and quiet life. Government was God's idea, not man. Thus, God decides what the purpose of government is and how they ought to govern. Their purpose is to create law, uphold order, and establish justice, as we see clearly in Scripture. However, just because there might be a separation of church and state, there's absolutely no separation from state and God. After all, that is exactly what King of Kings is implying. This means simply stating that there is no morality outside of God's morality. Thus, all laws, order, and justice are to be created and established by God's standard. The outworking fruit of this, as reference here in the Scripture, is that Christians will be able to live peacefully and quietly, that the state wouldn't overstep and interfere with the beliefs and practices of believers. There are many nations in Africa today that are great examples of this, who were once pagan worshipers who worship demons, worship ancestors, and upon the proclamation of the gospel are now Christian nations in so many ways. And they are making laws and passing 
um, bills that permits Christians who live in the midst of it without any persecution, with freedom to share the gospel and live out their faith. And so today, it doesn't matter necessarily where you fall, whether if you're on lean more to the left or to your right with your politics or up or down. It doesn't matter. Everyone has an issue with something our government is doing. Um, As Christians, we live in a nation where we are very fortunate to have um, good and just ways to go about changing the government. As uh, We're not under a dictatorship or ruled over in such a way that we have no rights or freedoms, but we have different ways to make changes in our nation. And this is most certainly a great gift from the Lord. Thus, we should most certainly vote when the season comes around, the opportunity presents itself. We should protest when necessary. Um, after all, we are Protestants. Um, <laughs> but above all else, <laughs> would our greatest action in changing and reforming our nation be through prayer? Um, let, not, let us not squander what the power of prayer is that the Lord has given us and how he means for us to use it. And so let me be clear. We are not praying for our nation because our hope is found in one specific country or a political party or a president. Um, as if God needs America. For we know in Scripture not to put our hope in chariots or in man. But rather, we are called to love our neighbor and and to desire to see them above all else, to come to the knowledge of salvation as found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thus, we should desire that the laws of our land make it easier and simpler to do just this. That the freedoms given to us by our government wouldn't wouldn't be abused for personal gain, but rather used to proclaim the good news of God's kingdom. We should seek to use all the benefits given to us by our government to benefit the kingdom of heaven first and foremost. The greatest way to extend God's kingdom is to bring sinners to be reconciled with Christ through the proclamation of the gospel. We have to pray with a great desire to see our neighbors, our fellow Americans, to come into the knowledge of the truth and that the government wouldn't hinder this from happening. What scripture testifies to time and time again is that the Lord uses those in authority to accomplish His purposes and exhorts His people to always be praying for them. For we see that this is what is good and pleasing to the Lord. God here in verse 3 is called Savior, that we all know that He saves us from our sins. The sentence then continues in verse 4, saying that God our Savior is one who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And you might have noticed that there is once again the phrase all people. It's been repeated from verse 1 and verse 2 and now here in verse 4. This is a common passage that gets um, misunderstood quite frequently. Paul here stating all people does not mean that every does not mean every person. Scripture makes clear that there are two categories of people throughout all the earth throughout all the time. Um, there are those who are the sheep who hear the master's voice and respond and are drawn to Christ. And there are the goats, those who turn away and deny the Lord. Rather than all people here is not meaning in every person, but um, it means all kinds of people. And so a good way to think about this, if if we think about Noah's Ark, uh, God does not command Noah to take every animal on the earth onto the ark, onto the boat. But rather, what he does command Noah is to take every kind of animal, both male and female. Every kind is in reflective in the boat. Not every animal is on the boat, but every kind is reflective on the boat. 
And thus, it's the same in this passage. It's not that Paul says, it's not that it's being communicated that it's every person is desired, but rather all kinds of people are desired to be brought into salvation. And so then Paul says to pray for all people and then gives us a kind of people to pray for, those that are put in authority. And this is consistent with how we're understanding these verses. So what this is communicating to us is that there is no one off limits who can't come to the knowledge of truth and be saved by Christ. There's only one kind of division that separates all humanity into two categories. And, there, and that is those who are covered in the blood of Christ and those who aren't. Thus, everything that divides man against one another and puts up walls between each other is not greater than the gospel. The gospel transcends it all. It does not matter the color of your skin, where you live, what your job is, how much authority you have, the language you speak, whatever nationality you are born with, your background, your experiences, passions, favorite sport team. Whatever causes divisions between any two people throughout all of human history, throughout everywhere on the globe, the gospel transcends and unites them together in and through Christ. That is why in heaven we know that people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue will bow and praise the Lord. God's people are not one specific earthly nation nor forced to speak one specific language or share one specific culture as it was in the Old Testament. But now, the gospel is what breaks down every barrier so that we have true communion and fellowship with anyone who worships Christ. Thus, we, not, we must not withhold the good news from anyone. Scripture is abundantly clear that we shouldn't show any favoritism. It doesn't matter how wealthy or poor the person is, how much power and influence they ha- may have, or how much you enjoy being around them. The gospel is for all people. It transcends every human lim- limitation and social construct to redeem a people to the Lord. And to let us never lose sight that we have been entrusted with the greatest news that we could possibly ever share and give someone. And that through our lives and in our prayers, the Lord may be pleased to bring others to salvation. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the goodness of it. I pray, Lord, that we would be moved to not be... um, just hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. Would you please stir within us, Lord, a deeper and greater affection for your word and for your truth, Lord, that um, immediately and drastically impacts us, God, and draws us to greater obedience and pleasure in your sight, as well as just worship to your name. Um, Lord, would you just be amongst us tonight? Would you bless our conversations? Would it be truly fruitful, encouraging, edifying, even challenging, oh God? We just praise you that you are such a good father and People such as us, Lord, are united in the gospel. All of us from different places, all of us with a different story, all of us with different experiences, oh God. Yet we can gather tonight and have such great fellowship and community and just worship to your name because of the blood of Christ. So we thank you and we praise you above every other name. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.